Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. And man, if you've ever been time crunched, you're going to love today. Uh, my guest today is one of my very, very good friends, a uh, guy I've gotten to know very well over the last three years. In fact, he came up to Canada on other stuff, hung out for a couple of extra days, and we recorded this right here at my house. So it was a lot of fun. His name's Frank Beeler, and he is uh, one of the senior leaders at Elevation Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, along with Stephen Furtick and an incredible team there. And uh, Frank has just become a guy that I just really connected with. We talk all the time, text, you know, on a regular basis and uh, hang out whenever we get a chance to. And Frank is one of the highest capacity leaders I know. I mean, you'll hear some of his story and I'm always like, I thought I was busy and then I met Frank. And so what I said to Frank, he was uh, back on the podcast, well, pretty early in sort of the whole scheme of things. I think he's episode 20. And I said to Frank, man, next time you come on, I just want to deconstruct you. And so uh, that didn't quite go as planned. You'll hear about that um, later in the interview. But man, if you've ever wondered how to get more done or how to become high capacity, Frank's really going to help you. And I think you're going to really love it. So that's what's up today. Also want to thank a couple of sponsors for today's podcast. Thanks to Enjoy Stewardship. They're doing incredible stuff um, with my email list. There's about 30,000 leaders who subscribe to my blog via email. And whenever something new is published, you can get that sent directly to your account. If you just go to kerryneuhoff.com, you will see that there's a place to subscribe. On the right sidebar, you'll see there's a weekly and a daily digest. So you can choose how you get that. That's courtesy of Enjoy Stewardship Solutions. And you're probably wondering, like, why would I ever subscribe to somebody's blog. Well, first of all, there's to get the information, but I'll tell you a little secret. Um, if you're a regular reader of the blog and and uh, I, I treat you pretty special. In fact, there's about uh, four or 5,000 leaders on that list who, according to the stuff that tells me that, open their emails regularly. And I let them in on a little secret. In fact, I just got finished recording a brand new resource that I'm releasing this fall. It's called The High Impact Leader. And it's all about how to get more done with greater energy in less time. It's actually a whole course on productivity. And uh, you know what I did? I let those guys name it. They got to vote on it and everything like that. So uh, we had a lot of fun. Some of them are going to be on the inside track when we launch this thing. And how did they find out about it? Well, this is the first time I've talked about it on the podcast. Haven't even talked about it in my public writings. Uh, But they knew about it because they were on the inside. So if you want to get on the inside, just go to kerryneuhoff.com and subscribe to my email lists. And uh, yeah. We'll, we'll chat. It'll be fun. Also want to say, hey, if you have not taken time to reserve your spot on the Orange Tour, tickets are going fast. I'm going to be in about a dozen cities this fall. We're going to, I don't know, 19 cities. It's crazy. Uh, and uh, we're going to talk about how to reach the next generation. Uh, there's myself, Reggie Joyner, John Aka, Frank Beeler, Doug Fields, many others. Um, we're coming to a city near you. So go to orangetour.org and make sure you register. And it's affordable. You can bring your whole team. And we're pretty much all over the country. So if you want to connect in person, would love to do that on the Orange Tour this fall. It all kicks off September 9th in Atlanta. We're going to be in California for a couple of days. 
the third week of September. You can get all the dates, details, and register at orangetour.org. So, hey, also, I uh, just want to say, if you haven't subscribed yet to the podcast, would you do that? That would just be awesome. And uh, thank you to everybody who continues to leave ratings and reviews. And in the meantime, I think we got a great conversation with Frank. And uh, let's find out how he gets done what he gets done. Here's my conversation in my home office with Frank Beeler. Well, I'm hanging out at my house with Frank Beeler today. Welcome to Canada. I'm excited to be in Canada for the first time ever. That's great. You got a We the North Campus shirt on, which any Raptors fan will get the reference. Yeah, We the North and coming up to visit our Toronto campus at Elevation. So it's mm -hmm. awesome. You guys just moved, right? You're about an hour south of us in the GTA, yeah. in the six. Yeah, it's going really well. We're excited mm -hmm. about what's happening in ministry there. And it was my first time coming up to check it out. Could I start a rumor and say that Drake attends Elevation GTA? That totally. Would get, that would like triple it. Sounds awesome. It's not true. Has yeah. Drake ever been to yeah. Elevation no, GTA? No, no. We don't agree on our views. No. That's a joke of the album title reference for Drake. Oh, see, that's and, yeah. way better than I yeah, see, I'm, He I'm hasn't come you, to Conexus yet either, <laughs> so we're waiting. Maybe the weekend will show up, you know. Uh, hey, listen, Frank, it's so good to have you back on the podcast, and it's so fun. I mean, we've become friends over the last couple of years, and so when you texted me that you're going to be in the GTA, I, I was actually away doing a wedding on the East Coast of Canada, but you hung out a whole other day with your son and other team members, and now we're just hanging for the whole day. Yeah, sent them back, and now just getting to spend time with you, got to sit on your back porch and tweet pictures and post pictures of doing work on your back porch, which you do all the time, which we're, is awesome. Where at least, you know, one-tenth of my ideas come from my back porch. Yeah, hey, it's so, beautiful back there. Oh, we have a good time. So <laughs> it's good to hang out with you. And I was excited to have you back because, Frank, as you become a friend over the last few years, I don't think I know a lot of leaders who really move at a faster pace, have um, you actually a balance in your life. You have a wife you love, uh, three kids that you're crazy about and spend time with. Uh, you actually work out. And so I thought this next episode, when, when I would have you back, I would call in my head the deconstruction of Frank Beeler. How do you do what you do? It's sort of like a productivity wow. thing, but I did not call it in the email to you, no. the, the deconstruction of Frank Beeler. What did I call it? You when called it the destruction <laughs> of Frank Beeler. I'm like, well, there goes this podcast. There you go, the destruction. <laughs> the hazard of sending um, emails before you take off on a plane. Yeah, okay, so I totally own that. And if you are in correspondence with me, you know how bad my typing is. It's like hey, typo in every other text. You keep us on our toes for sure. Oh, you have yeah. to read so, between the lines. I'm, I'm trying to do the, the deconstruction, not the destruction <laughs> of Frank Beeler. And who knows what this episode will be by the time oh, it, gosh. it hits the air. Maybe I'll call it the destruction slash deconstruction of Frank Beeler. Yeah, that'll get definitely get some more attention probably on social media. You're destroying somebody. This has got to be awesome. So you've been on an incredible uh, journey. You are a member of the senior leadership team at Elevation Church in Charlotte, North Carolina along with Pastor Stephen, but it didn't start that way. And we covered some of that ground when you were with us at the very beginning, and we'll link to that episode in the show notes. Do you know the number? I'm going to say episode 20. Was yeah, it episode Somewhere 20? on there, but I don't yeah. know for sure. All right, it'll be in the show notes. Anyway, it is worth a listen. It's one of my favorite episodes. And you talked all about developing volunteer teams. And I know so many people who took massive action after they heard that episode in the early days of this podcast. But uh, like I said, I you you do a lot of things. You you and I both hang out with a guy named Reggie Joiner these days. Yeah, genius, and genius. He, he is a genius, isn't he? <laughs> For sure, a great friend and a great genius. And uh, both of us will be on tour on Orange Tour yeah. in different cities 
Are we? We're in West Virginia together. I think yeah, we I think we're going to be in today. one together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was talking to Reggie this morning. Looks like I'm going to be in West Virginia. Then I'm, what other cities are you going to be in? Do you know? I don't know. Is that no, bad? No. I don't no, know. No, I don't know what cities I'm going to be in <laughs> no, either. Sure, yeah, I know just, I'm going to be in Atlanta and California. I'm in uh, Kansas City. Indianapolis. Uh, okay, somewhere I'm in California. In oh, we're going to be in Irvine uh, yeah, together. So we'll be in there wherever together. That is. Yep. yep, that'll and be fun. And wherever else. I'm sure I'll be in Charlotte since that's where I'm from when they would come through Charlotte. Yeah, I think I can make Charlotte so, this year. Yeah, it's on that awkward didn't make Tuesday. It last year, I know. It's either. not personal. Do you have an issue with North Carolina? No, I love North Carolina. I was at Elevation Church a few months ago. That's true. You come and hung out with us and taught our team. That was great. Great wisdom. That was was fantastic. You guys, I mean, that could be a whole other podcast, but what you guys do. And a lot of us only know churches through like social media and what we see online. And I would say one of the biggest impressions that I had of Elevation Church is you guys are ninja. Like you do an awful lot on a tight budget in tight quarters. Yeah. It's very impressive. Very impressive. Yeah. Pastor's led us well. Pastor Stephen, mm-hmm. he, you know, people know him as a great communicator, great preacher, a fiery preacher, you know, bring him in to kill, kill an awesome message at a conference. Mm-hmm. But he is a great leader and he's taught us how to lead volunteers, lead each other well, be really disciplined in the way we lead. And so it's positioned us well. So I've certainly considered it a privilege. And this massive trajectory that you guys are on too. I mean, you keep growing. It's how many campuses now, including so, Toronto? Yeah, so 13, about to be 14. And then we'll add two more later this year and one more hopefully early next year. It's crazy. It's fun. So good. <laughs> and you have been along for that ride for how many years at Elevation yeah, Church? So I started attending the church in 2009 and came on staff in 2011. Okay, so give us the two-minute bio of your life. Because where this is going, as, as I suggested at the very beginning, is I want to look at how you get done so much. And at a really interesting stage, I get asked all the time, how do you you know, work full-time at a church and uh, blog and podcast and write books and speak and all that stuff? And I have an answer, and inevitably it's like, well, yeah, but your kids are a little bit older. They're 24 and 20. But you are like, you know, you're firing on all cylinders, and your kids are not in their 20s. They're very much at an age where they need their dad. Yeah, yeah. And I would say, hopefully, I think we have a good family. Like, we found I think a good you do. rhythm. And, and I know you will have to say day I day night with that. my wife. And, you know, we have we have a good time. We do run hard. And I guess, I mean... So from, how old are your kids? Micah is yeah, going so to be... 14. 14. 10, mm-hmm. and then soon to be 9. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. that you're right in the prime years of parenting. Yeah, and it's Absolutely. fun. It's fun. They're wild. And if you got really young kids and you think like, oh, when they're teenagers, they don't need any time. I think just the opposite. I think it takes more time to parent a teenager than a toddler. Yeah, I agree. They, they may be more vocal in their needs when they're mm-hmm. little as toddlers because you know when they're unhappy yeah. or when they need something. As teenagers, they may not even imply that they need you, but we know that they need us just as much to help them navigate difficult decisions. Okay, so give us yeah. the thumbnail of what you've done in two decades of leadership since you started out, not in church world, but the business world. Yeah, so, you know, I had the opportunity to go to college and work full time while I was in college, had to pay the bills and, and learn how to navigate a lot of schedule at a really young age, because mm-hmm. um, that's what it took in order for me to be able to go to college. And so I worked at a place called the Soup Kitchen, but it wasn't <laughs> like a nonprofit. It was a place that sold soup and bread. And, okay. and so I'd serve soup and do that in the evenings and go to, uh, to college during the day. And then finally got to a place where I learned how to manage my college schedule where I could go three days a week and then mm-hmm. later two days a week and then work full time the rest of the time. I got in the auto repair business, became really? an ASC certified um, uh auto service advisor or something like that. Uh, So I got that while I was in college because that seemed like a cool thing to do. I learned how to drive tow trucks 
And so I can drive a wrecker and a rollback and all the different kinds of tow trucks. And I'd do that late at night. And then that would once again provide money for my budding right. music career at that point. I was playing you did, guitar. You didn't grow up like in an entrepreneurial home no, or not a particularly all. wealthy home, right, correct? No, right, not at all. Like, so this was all self-taught so in your teen years? Just Yeah, just trying to push forward and, and want to make yeah. something. But honestly, I mean, my, my goal in life was honestly to have a, a good middle-class job. Like, hmm. I mean, that was, that was a win. I wasn't aspiring. To so you something. saw yourself as what a mechanic or like uh like a what? Yeah. Yeah. A, a mechanic or some kind of like local business guy that was mm-hmm. just trying to, trying to make things work and see nothing wrong with that. And was like, that was, Absolutely. that was an aspiration to pursue and, and go after. And, and in that I would have stability and income, you know, I, yeah. I mean, my goal was, you know, not to worry about the lights or food or groceries or any of that stuff. And, and just find a good trade or a good good opportunity and, and knew that college was a path to do that. But for me, I just had to work while I was in college. So I learned how to manage a lot pretty early on out of sheer necessity. And then along the way, you know, we were doing music and we were playing, mm. playing in a band that eventually became a Christian rock and roll band, a punk rock band. And so <laughs> now I had that on the weekends, then work, then school, but still trying to get good grades to finish my business degree. And once I got out of that, um, thought I was going to own a couple of auto repair shops. That was kind of my plan. And then through a series of circumstances, I ended up in the insurance world in a real small kind of mom and pop agency in East Tennessee and, Mm -hmm. and had the opportunity to sell there. And then, uh, eventually become a leader of that organization, eventually the president of that company. And we moved from being just a small little local shop to where we were selling insurance in 47 states and writing these huge And you became the president of that company. How old were you when you became president? 23 or four, right around that time. Seriously? Maybe 24. So 23 or 24. And again, no silver spoon. Like this is not like my dad was an entrepreneur and I used to go to his business. Like not your story. Yeah, just just working hard, trying to be self-disciplined. I'm sure making plenty of mistakes. I mean, I was mm-hmm. young. At that point, you know, my wife and I got married when she was about to turn 21 and I was about to turn 22. You know, we got married young and and just kind of ran after life. So who gives the presidency of uh, an insurance company to a 23-year-old? Yeah, it was, it was an interesting series of circumstances. Um, they saw that they, they were wise enough, I think, looking back, and now I'm trying to be the same thing, wise enough to see somebody that was pretty disciplined at a young age, that had some new ideas, that was bringing in new technology mm-hmm. into the insurance industry, a very old industry. It's very paper and pen and not much use of computers and really trying to move it forward. And so they, they just gave the reins because of two reasons. One, they had another company that was budding and doing really well that was taking a lot of their attention. They were a very entrepreneurial family. And then the other thing was just kind of earning it. I had done a few things mm-hmm. well. And so it's kind of like, well, let's, And how, how many years have you been it. in the company? So um, I became president three years in, two and a half years in. Wow. It happened really So again, fast. this wasn't like State Farm. It wasn't a massive organization, no. but still. And, yeah. and you, but you were writing seven-figure deals at, yeah, like, for in sure. your early 20s. Yeah, so that was just a whole another league. You know, early on when I was there, we were selling a, you know, $40,000 insurance policy and throwing a party afterwards. Like that was a big deal. And we just kind of matured as an organization and grew and, and that was really great. And it allowed me some incredible opportunities to meet people. And along the way, I love Jesus. So I was trying to make a workplace ministry out of this and help my staff and encourage them and, and start to raise a family myself and us figure it all out together. Oh, that's cool. I can see that. I mean, when we were setting up this podcast, I have a new kit. I have this new mixer. What do you call it? Yeah, a mixer. Yeah. Is it a mixer? Okay. 
And uh, I had used this to record in my studio before previous episodes, but I had a different mixer and like we could not get your mic to work. So a call to our producer, Toby, and a few moments later, with some Google searching by Frank, and here, let me try this, boom, boom, boom. We got both mics recording. Yeah, so we're moving now. You're president of my podcast as of oh, right nice. now. Okay, I've arrived. Promoted. So that was 13 years ago. Are yeah. you 30? So 30, oh gosh, 37. 37, 37 14 yeah. years ago. Yeah. So a very young age, you started doing that. And again, like I said, you're one of the highest capacity leaders I know, period. And I know a lot of leaders. Wow. And I mean, you got a lot of future ahead of you too in your mid to, to late 30s. So uh, how long did you do insurance for? Yeah, so I guess about, well, let's see. It was in 2009 that we acquired a couple companies in Charlotte, mm -hmm. North Carolina and moved there. And 2011 is when I shifted to come on staff at Elevation. So, right. so 2009, you showed up at Elevation just to go to church, right? Yeah, yeah. And we needed a good church in the area. We wanted to find a local church to volunteer and serve and give and be a part of a local community. So I love this part of the story. So you get to Elevation Church, you decide to volunteer, but it wasn't just like stand there and, and hand out paper. What did they get you to do? Yeah, so they put me on the setup team. And uh -huh. at that point, we had four worship experiences at our broadcast location. We had a couple other locations at that point, but um, it was a portable setting. And so we were getting there at 4.30 in the morning to get things set up. I got to serve on that team and eventually got to shift and be a leader on that team. Okay, listen, fun. listen. I want everyone to stop for just a second, okay? Because I love this story. I love it. You told a little bit of it in, in an earlier episode, but I talk about you all the time in this context. So you're you're a volunteer. How many days off a week do you have at this point as the president of insurance company? Oh, gosh. Well, a lot of times I was flying back on Friday or Saturday. So yeah. I'd have that one, really one Saturday was my day off, you know, and so enjoy yeah. that most of the time. Right. But but often yeah. you'd be coming back on a Saturday. So you've That's got exactly one right. clear day. Sunday. Sunday. Yeah. And a lot of executives, a lot of people are like, I'm too busy to go to church. I can't make it. But you wanted to be connected with the church. So sure. you, you were. But you started serving at what hour in the morning on your only clear day off most yeah, weeks? Yeah, 4.30 a.m. 4.30 a.m. Yeah, on your only like day right off. And your kids were how old at the time? Well, oh, subtract six or yeah, seven. So they just, were like, yeah, yeah. they were they were really preschool to younger. kindergarten. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. So you're doing this. And Jessica, your wife, she's on board. Yeah. And honestly, it worked out great because I was up before any of my family got up. I would handle that. And then I would actually leave leave the church once everything was set up, go pick up my family, and we would attend church together. So it actually was a great opportunity for me to serve and fell in the rhythm of what was really helpful for our family. And so I still got to spend time with them. So why why did you say yes to that? Oh, wow. Well, I mean, Elevation, if you've had a chance to come, like you know, but if you haven't, then come visit us sometime. There's there's something special about the, the level of excellence and uh -huh. the passionate pursuit of, uh, everybody, every volunteer doing everything they know how to do to to enable people to encounter God. And so whether that be the going that extra mile to turn around a drape because you could see mm -hmm. the seam and the drape at the top and somebody might notice just those above and beyond picking up a little piece of trash, every volunteer doing their part. There was something about that level of, of passion and this system and organization where there was a plan and there was a reason and everything felt so intentional. It was really attractive to me as a business leader that's trying to be strategic and think through and make wise decisions. Yeah, it is. Okay. Now I want you to go back. We'll link to this in the show notes. It is episode 20. You just got to listen awesome. to it. That's 
That's the first one you were on. My memory worked on that yeah, one. That was great. Well, well done. Almost 100 episodes <laughs> in now. It's getting close. Yeah. Like It's like, I think that's episode 46. <laughs> Um, so what did what did Pastor Stephen or whoever was it Pastor Stephen who sort of made that invitation or who made no, that invitation? No, no, the, the campus pastor at that time reached okay. out to me. Yeah, I mean, Pastor Stephen. At that point, we had three campuses. He was trying to lead at a higher level yeah. and lead the staff, and so we were kind of in that transition. But it was an associate campus pastor named Gene Lakey, and the campus pastor Josh Blackson at the time, who's our expansion pastor for the church, just having a coffee. And just inviting us along to be a part of this in a big way as far as volunteers. And so it was the size of the vision that really pulled you in and the level of organization and detail. That, and it's both. Because okay. it, it is, it's not just enough to have size of vision. Because I, I know lots of churches that have very big visions. Yeah. But there's hey, something. Hey, if you're a good church, you can't help but have a big vision. Right. It's the right. biggest we mission in the world. Come That's on, people. exactly right. You got to be good at so, it. So the vision was great. But I just saw them backing it up with... Uh, once again, it's not like they had an unlimited budget or, I mean, they were getting really creative inside the limitations that were in, in their world, but they just wanted to do everything they could with excellence. And there was a plan and you may not even understand some of the reasons you just knew you start to figure out real quickly that there was a reason for everything. And there was a reason that, um, as I always say, and I may even have mentioned this in podcast 20, um, the whole idea of like greeters, we don't we don't have greeters outside and prop the doors open. We open the door every single time because that communicates value to mm-hmm. our guests. And so even though that's inefficient, and we'd say we're a very efficient organization, it's inefficient to open it over and over and over again, but it communicates something to our guests. And so just every little thing, it was so thought out and so intentional. And it was beautiful that they were taking intentional steps to share the gospel. It just felt like something I wanted to be a part of for sure. See, that's cool. So often in church world, I write about this in Lasting Impact chapter four. In fact, our conversation um, that we had on the podcast prompted some of the thinking that went into chapter four of of my last book. But uh, it's very counterintuitive because a lot of people think, well, a guy that busy, a guy as busy as Frank Bieler, president of an insurance company, young leader, young family, I cannot ask him to do very much because it's your only day off and aw shucks, you know, well, just come in and give us half an hour. Like, how would that appeal have worked for you? Well, I honestly think I would have done it if they would have asked me to be yeah. a, a greeter every other week for one worship experience. I, I think I would have said yes and initially because it, it felt like the right thing to do. And I was signing mm-hmm. up to serve if that's where they said they needed me. But I think it would have felt pretty underwhelming whenever you ask a leader to do something that's not leading it just doesn't feel right. It doesn't work for very long. It feels like there's a gap or a void. And so for them to to make a big ask and, and convey that they wanted me to be on that team because, yes, they needed to get some work done, but they wanted some people to kind of rally some leadership on that team. They did not give me a leadership title. Mm-hmm. There was a clear volunteer leader when I stepped in, but they just wanted some other energy or maturity on the team from a leadership level. And so they spoke mm-hmm. to vision even when they're asking me to come put up pipe and drape and move desks at a high school. So you didn't stay as a volunteer. You volunteered in that role. Yeah. How did that morph? Well, I would, I would say I'm still trying to figure out why I'm out there <laughs> and, and what I get to do. And I shake my head yeah. most days going, God, why have you allowed me to do this? So let's put that qualifier out there. I'm still for trying sure. to figure it out for sure. Fair enough. Uh, but, you know, they asked me to come on staff about a year in on this thing uh, when we were serving and, 
Uh, honestly, my wife and I didn't feel called to vocational ministry financially. It didn't make any sense. Yeah, you had to take a bit so, of a pay cut. Yeah, we a said no. A bit of no. a massive pay cut. Yeah, so we said so no. So you said no. Yeah, we said no. We continued to serve and give and be connected to the church. We said no. And a few months later, my wife and I made a decision that we didn't want, while we didn't feel called to come on staff at Elevation or any church for that mm-hmm. matter, we didn't want finances to be a reason to say no. So we adjusted our finances. We sold our cars. We moved to a different home. It just kind of scaled everything back to the point where the owner of my company back in Tennessee thought I was either gambling away all our money <laughs> or I was doing drugs because he didn't understand what my lifestyle wasn't lining up Your with downward that. mobility. Finally, yeah, Because yeah. we were talking earlier, you're a car guy by nature. Yeah, right? oh yeah, yeah. I you love, love cars. cars. Love cars. And that was kind of like my, yeah. my, my weakness back and in so the day. And so you bought a what? Uh, so yeah, it, I got a Toyota Camry used hybrid. Uh-huh. And that was a big shift for me. From I've driven around in that. Before. Yeah, it's yeah. a nice car, but so it's it just works. a car. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it gets me around. And so uh, we just shifted. And then it was about a year later, um, my company called and said, hey, congratulations, you're moving up in the organization. We want you to oversee some other leadership things. You can move back to Tennessee. We know that you still have your home here because we had built a home there and just kept it because uh, we thought we were going to move back. Yeah. We didn't know we were going to stay in Charlotte. And I went to tell... Um, to keep the story short, told the campus pastor that we were moving back to Tennessee. We had already moved back most of our stuff. It was a whirlwind. It happened really fast. And uh, he uh, told me at the time, he said, no, 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 we were getting ready to meet with you. We want you to be the campus pastor, to be the first one to go outside the state to kind of stretch this thing. The first one kind of not on lead staff to be a mm-hmm. campus pastor. And um, I met that Monday and accepted the opportunity on a Wednesday. And when I came on staff two weeks later after working my two-week notice, Six weeks later after that, um, we launched our Rock Hill campus. Uh, six weeks earlier, we didn't have a facility. We didn't have volunteers. <laughs> uh, we were just going after it. Knew it was time to expand. So we launched our fifth and sixth campus on the same day, September 11, 2011. And so I came on staff, whatever that would be, late July or, yeah, late July. And we ran after it. And we had meetings at parks, at little pavilions. It was very strategic because I didn't know how many people were going to show up. And I thought if it's outside, if there weren't many people, it'd be okay because we'd fit on a pavilion. If lots mm-hmm. of people showed up, nobody would know that it was poor planning and I didn't have enough faith to get a bigger building. So it was a way for me to kind of hide when I didn't know how many people were going to show up. Wow. Why did you say yes? Oh, yeah. So um, uh, we, we were confused about the transition because we had fallen in love with the church. Mm-hmm. And that here was here was the pitch from Chunks, our CFO, and and I don't know that I've told him this before, so maybe you'll get to listen to this. This will be funny. But I remember this is how I heard the pitch. I don't know how it was done. But he said, So Frank, here's what we're thinking. We need somebody to come on and be a campus pastor. And it's gonna go across state line. We don't know how well it's gonna go. We don't know who you're gonna to report to. And we think this is the right move. How do you feel about that? Like that was <laughs> that was that was the pitch. You really Really was a little underwhelming, but I think he wanted to see kind of where I was at because he and I didn't know each other. We knew each other in passing, but didn't know each other at all. And I'll tell you, it couldn't have been a better pitch because when I heard it, what I heard him say was, we're growing outside of our city. Someone has to help us figure it out We because the city limits aren't going to be enough for what God's going to do in our church. And we think you could be the one to help us do that. And that was just like, I mean, he couldn't, once again, talking to a leader, saying, I don't need you to come manage something. I want you to help us lead something new and fresh and help us stretch. And so that's what came through my leadership ears. And it couldn't have said anything better. It sounded amazing. So then it was like, can we figure this out? I need to talk to my wife. And 
And so we moved to Tennessee. Uh, we had already moved half our stuff to Tennessee. And two weeks later, moved everything back wow. and got going as a campus pastor. That's, That's incredible. Great. So campus pastor to children's ministry? Yeah, so switched over to family pastor. Um, Nine months later, we transitioned the campus to a great campus pastor. They're getting ready to go to a big permanent building. That campus is doing so well, so proud of them. And so I got switched to family ministry, more of a central role for our church, seeing kids, then seeing kids and students, now seeing kids, students, groups, and a little bit of our creative staff. And it's awesome. Yeah, and and a few months ago, appointed to the lead team at Elevation Church. The first non-founder? Uh, no, 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 they're no, pretty. No. No, most oh. of them are uh, were after the after. core team. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Great. When did you realize? And I know this is a bit of an awkward question, but I'm going to ask it anyway because we're friends. Sure. When did you realize you might be a high performer? Was that as a kid? Was that in your 20s? Like, surely by 23, the light must have gone on. But when was the first inkling that maybe, you know, God had gifted you in a in a in a really kind of cool way? Yeah. This. This is a weird question. Yeah, to I'm ask. sorry. Uh, so, I'm allowed to ask. Uh, it. Yeah, you can it's ask my, it. My podcast. You're the boss. Um, yeah. So here's what I know. Growing up and in high school, I got A's and B's without trying very hard, mm-hmm. and my family was very, very happy with that. They never pushed me to get all A's or anything like that. Like they were, right. they were. I was getting good, solid grades. I was a good boy in school, uh, no problem. And when I graduated high school, um, it was shortly after I graduated that I met my wife, or now my wife. Mm-hmm. And when we started dating, her dad was a pastor. And he started speaking into my life, saying that God had more for me. And he saw more in me. And he, so he started to call it some potential that I didn't know was there. And it wasn't in a, a way where he's trying to get me to a good place to be worthy of his daughter. He right. just quickly was like, you're sharp. I think there's something in you. Don't settle. There's God, God has lots in store for you. So he started giving me leadership books. I never read any, I didn't know any of this stuff. And so (laughs) he just started providing me leadership books and challenging me and asking great questions and pushing me. And it wasn't long before I felt like I would really hit a stride because once again, going into college and working and going to college, that was out of necessity. I wasn't putting that as far as, Oh, this is some leadership traits or something here. But it wasn't until my father-in-law, who I admire and love very much, who really helped me understand what it's like to lean in on your calling and lean in on the potential God's given you and and really focus on developing whatever he has gifted you with. So it was another leader, in this case, your father-in-law, also a pastor, who saw something in you you didn't see in yourself. Yeah, for sure. Two lessons in that. Number one, if you got somebody saying something positive, I think... I think, Frank, people have like a positive filter on. So if you tell me something positive, I run it through a filter that says, I don't think that's true. Yeah. Do you do that yeah, sometimes? Yeah, for sure. For yep. Sure. You just discount the yeah, positive. Yeah, tells but, you you did a great job with the message. You're like, yeah. thanks. And then you Thank. walk away going, ah, that was probably not very good. Yeah, he probably was just being nice, <laughs> just right? Being nice. Just being nice. Sure. And on the other hand, I magnify criticism. I make the critics out to be 10 times louder than they really are. But the second thing, so first of all, someone's encouraging you, pay attention. Secondly, um, we can all be that encourager for a young leader that that we see around us. You think about what would have happened if you didn't have that kind of encouragement. For sure, because I was looking in the mirror every day and I couldn't see what what could be or should be. I only saw what was. Oh, that's good. So uh, what I saw and what I'd known my life was whatever you're doing is good. It's good enough. Like, good job. Keep, Keep on the track. And what I was doing wasn't trying very hard. It wasn't pushing very hard. So... For somebody to say, no, 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 there's more. Don't settle. There's lots in you. God has big work to do in you. 
means the world. And don't just assume that somebody else can see it for themselves. So going back to when you were in insurance, what were some of the things that you were doing as a young leader that really pushed the envelope of your potential to help them say to you at 23, which I don't care how big or small the company is, it's not a whole lot of 23-year-old presidents running around. What what were some of the things you're doing that that you mentioned being self-disciplined and, and all of that, but what else were you doing that kind of really pushed the boundaries of what would otherwise have been possible? Well, and I think, you know, a key part of it's just building trust. Mm-hmm. And the only way you can build trust is by continually showing up, being consistent, following through on what you say, don't overpromise. I mean, most young leaders, and I mean, I still struggle yeah. with this today, overpromise stuff and, and want to impress you. They want to do a good job and they end up somewhere in the middle. And, and so I really, really didn't want to be that. And I knew uh, I had my word because really growing up, that's what I had to go on. I didn't have yeah. a lot else, but I had my word. And so, I mean, to kind of take an old school philosophy, that really meant a lot to me. And then the other thing was, if I was going to to be excellent in this craft that I didn't go to school for. I went for general business. So I didn't learn anything about insurance while in college, not a single yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. And so that wasn't very helpful. And so if I'm going to be good at this, if I'm going to lead this organization or even help my clients better, I had to run after it. So I subscribed to all the trade journals and like I'm reading things. And I found a couple of people that were just doing it better than us. Huh. And instead of being their competitor and, and being aggressive, I just started asking questions. And the funny thing was, I think if I would have been older, they wouldn't have given me the time of day uh, because then it would have been like stepping on their turf. But I was some kind of young punk kid. And I think they kind of were flattered that I would ask. And so they were giving me tips that ultimately would help me write business that they're trying to write or sell stuff. And so, but I I wasn't viewed as a threat. And so they were willing to invest in me. But you were curious enough to ask. You had the humility to ask. ask You had the humility to say, I haven't got this figured out. What what else were you doing when you were a very young leader Yeah, to I, really develop yourself? I, I think the other thing was I couldn't just be good at the thing that I was getting really comfortable at. So in insurance, for example, um, almost everything, most insurance policies can all be done on a computer. Right. And so once you kind of get into a rhythm, you can just quote it and do all that. And you really don't need to involve anybody. But I started to get intrigued by the things that were a little more complex and starting to ask a little bit more complex questions. And so now I'm on the phone with the underwriter at some company trying to understand why they said no or why they said yes to something instead of just relying on what the computer could do. So it created this, and I I don't know that I knew this at the time. I was just asking questions, trying Mm. to understand. But I was creating this network where the underwriters, when I would now come to them with very complicated risks that you couldn't quote on a computer because there was no code for it, you couldn't, couldn't enter it in the computer, well, they were intrigued by this guy that genuinely wanted to do it right. And I wasn't just trying to make another sale or cram it through. Right. And so now I had this network of fans at these companies that kind of liked me uh, just because I was asking questions and, and wanted to understand why something didn't work or or clarifying a little bit further. So was that curiosity or, or th- back like depth of research or what would you say that for was? For sure. I think, I think it was more curiosity. I think hmm. somewhere around 18, 20 years old, this hunger, this insatiable hunger to understand and do better at whatever it is that I'm responsible for and just be better at it caused me just to always ask questions. 
And so I was always trying to learn more. And so that's why while I'm in college, I'm getting some ASC certification in, in auto repair, even though that wasn't necessarily my plan. It was just a thing. It's like, oh, I got to understand this better. I yeah, got to yeah. learn. So it created this insatiable hunger, even though growing up, I wasn't a reader. I didn't like any of that stuff. I just was kind of going through the motions. Something flipped inside of me. I'm like, no, 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 go after it. I think it was my father-in-law pushing and saying, no, 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 I believe in you. There's something there. Run after it. I didn't know what it was. So I just ran really hard after whatever (laughs) was before me. So tell me how, uh, I don't like the word balance, but I can't think of a better one, but tell me how balance worked in that first decade of leadership when you and Jessica were just married, uh, your kids are young, being born, your family's growing. Were you good at it? Not very good at it? Is that something you had to figure out as you went along? So for sure, tried to figure it out. I would say this, you know, you say you don't like the word balance. I now say when I, I meet with our staff and talk that balance is a mythical beast. I agree. It doesn't 100%. actually exist. I've never met anybody that was balanced unless they were like unemployed and they were getting mm-hmm. lots of family time. Like that's, I just haven't found it. And so it's like, okay, well, how do you integrate all this together? That's a word that we choose to use this idea of integration and weaving in, in my case, ministry, workplace stuff other projects, my family, like getting it all together. And so this idea of integration. And I would say those first few years, I didn't do it well because I was pouring myself so passionately into like trying to learn this industry. And I was excelling and I liked that, that I would be gone. And I I wasn't self-aware enough to know what was happening in me or what was happening in our family to look around. But a few years in, maybe four or five years in the insurance is when I started asking more questions at home because I was asking lots of questions at work, trying mm. to understand and pursue. And I started asking questions at home and I was getting very surprised by the answers I was getting. Can you give me an example? And so Yeah, sure. So um, I was saying before, I'd be like, hey, so I'm going to be late. And I would just say it as a matter of fact. And I started saying things like, hey, um, I've got one more thing I'd like to do. So if that doesn't mess with you, does that sound okay? And then I would find out half the time my wife would be like, sure. And then the other half of the time, she said, no, 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 we're, we're supposed to have this family dinner. My, the kids are really excited. They want to tell you about something that happened at school today. Right. And I was like, oh, so there are some days that it's actually completely okay for me to be gone. And other days there's not, but I don't necessarily have all the information to make that decision. So you were asking questions, but actually interested in the answer. You weren't, you weren't just like, hey, is it okay if I do one more thing at work, which I think a lot of people do expecting a yes on the other end, you were really open to feedback. For sure. Eventually, when I started to see that there was problems, uh-huh. like it just wasn't uh-huh. healthy. Like I could tell my wife was, there was a gap in our relationship. And so asking questions. I don't, I, you know, I'd never heard it phrased that way about asking questions at home as curiously as you ask them at work, because I think people are inherently more interested in the answer at work than they are at home. Yeah. Well, they, the they want the pat home, answer. Yeah. They well, want the, like, it's okay. Sure. The answer at home can be very convicting. It can be very difficult and it may require you to change some things um, in the way you live. And that's way harder than, okay, yes or no, that tells me how to sell something or do something. And so uh, also the other thing that had to change, I got tired of saying, I'm sorry. Mm. Um, I really, I really got to a place where uh, that was Mm. probably two of the key words early on in business where I was just saying, I'm sorry all the time. I would say I'd be home at five get home at seven yeah. and then I'll just lead with, I'm sorry. That's not and, even five Oh five, but, but right. you weren't really sorry. Right, right. Right. I wasn't sorry. And then I realized that those words didn't mean anything anymore. Cause I was always saying them. 
And so I was like, ah, there's got to be a different or better way to do this. So what did you do? How did you change it? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing was genuinely asking questions and communicating, talking about the day and not overpromising. Because it's funny, I wasn't overpromising at work, right. but I was always overpromising at home. I'll be home oh. at six, knowing there's no way I'm going to make it at six unless all traffic parts, there's no red <laughs> lights. My car somehow grows wings and flies me home. Right, right, right. No and I get out of my six. meeting early, I'll be but home But I knew six. that's what she'd want to hear. Right. So I would say that and then be late and say, I'm sorry. And I just started saying, hey, it looks like it's going to be around 6.30 tonight and make a decision to leave and get home by that time. Yeah. And now it became something. Because where I struggled in insurance was I got to a place where every minute more I worked, our family made more money. It wasn't yeah. like I was just goofing off or avoiding coming home. It was a direct correlation between. Right. And so it's very easy to think, hey, honey, you should be grateful. Right. We have more money. That's exactly right. Okay. So a lot of leaders listening right now can relate to that, whether you're the president of some company or whether you're a pastor making far less than you ever thought you'd make yeah. in your life, right? Which, and you took a massive pay cut to do what you're doing now. But a lot of people are going, that's great in theory. But if I come home at five, not at seven, work is going to fall apart. And whether that's financially driven or not, it could just be, I got 18 people who wanted to meet with me. Now I can only meet with 14. Did things fall apart at work when you started prioritizing home? They actually didn't because I built my work schedule around what my goals were. And I just said, okay, our goals is to sell this much or do this much. I was, my goal before was more. Mm. And and more is infinite, right? It never stops. <laughs> and so I started looking so at our good. sales goals, our profitability so goals, and then started building my schedule during the day around that. And were there days I had to work late? Of course there were. And yeah. I would call. Yeah. But what, what Jessica finally found out, my wife finally discovered uh, when we started communicating, my default was to hurry home. Mm-hmm. And so then when I didn't, it was way less, even if it was inconvenient or affected a soccer game or something, it didn't hurt because she knew my priority was to be home, not to be away. And so it shifted her too, not just ju- just my schedule where I had to still say I'm sorry a lot. Okay. that There is so much in what you just shared. Man, oh man. First of all, my goal used to be just more, but then you defined it. Like there's a difference between 30% growth and infinite growth. Right. Right. And 30% pretty stinking good. Yeah. Like sure. if you can grow a company or a church 30% a year for a number of years, you're, you're going to be on the fastest growing list of something. For sure. I don't know. Like that's pretty good. And then the second thing you said, because your default shifted to hurry home, Jessica knew that your heart had shifted. Yes. And, and I think you're right. Everybody forgives the exception, but not the rule. There was something really special in the way you said that that made me sit up and take notice because I think a lot of the time the people that we love the most think that they're not the most important for sure. And you know, they think that because that's how, because that actually is true. Yeah. They are not the most important. They're not the most valued. You would rather, and guys, I, I, I only know a guy context cause I'm a guy. I know there were seasons when I would rather stay at work because if I went home, it meant I had to change a diaper or I had to put up with bedtime or I had to do that. And I'm not proud to say that, you know, and we've made some adjustments. We made a lot of adjustments uh, after I kind of came to that realization. But hey, there's something very attractive about work because it can somehow help you escape a reality that isn't maybe as exciting or where maybe the respect isn't as automatic. You know, your wife's not giving you a raise and making you president of something. She's saying, can you help? 
Yeah, yeah. There, there's something about saying at work, I'm appreciated for what I do. And sometimes mm-hmm. coming home, it may not feel that way. It may very much be appreciated, but I know there's been seasons where you come home and it's just like, just take the kids for a minute. <laughs> that doesn't feel very appreciated. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just manage the chaos for a few minutes. Yeah. And so I had to learn, once we open up lines of communication, I know that sounds so generic and I can't emphasize enough that it was the game changer for us just for me to really understand how she was and, and to ask some questions and clarify our day a little bit and understand what was important. Just a little side note. Yeah. Um, recently, my daughter had several dances just, just over the past few months. It was the end of dance season. She's really into competitive dance and all that. And she had several dances in a row on weekends. Well, I'm a little busy on weekends. I have this thing called yeah, church, yeah, yeah, and church and things and... going on. So it, it wasn't, I couldn't make it to all of them. And so I was trying to figure out what I was going to make it to and not disappoint her. And I had made a decision and I realized I hadn't asked her. And so I went to Layla and I said, Layla, what, where do you want me to be? I'm not going to be able to be at all these. So I told her in advance, but where do you want me to be? And she completely caught me off guard. She wanted to be a, me to be at the one that honestly was the easiest for me to be at, but mm-hmm. the one that was the smallest. It was actually at a um, really small community center. It was a dance slash pageant, and it was her first one. I mean, the most underrated, lamest, small, <laughs> dinky, all in a gym, poor lighting. And then there were other ones that were on this big stage and lights and hundreds of people, even thousands of people in attendance. I was thinking that was the big deal to her. And what she really wanted me to be at was this little pageant thing because it was new and different. And she wanted to see me out there in her dress that she had got. I would have missed it completely and gone out of my way to go to the wrong thing. If I hadn't have asked my daughter, who at that time was eight, just, honey, where do you want me to be? And I ended up winning, and it was the easiest easiest win I could have got that month because you know, I it's, missed it. It's so good. We, we, we had this conversation earlier today because we've been hanging out, but it's, it's a question that I learned to ask a number of years ago in my marriage, particularly in downtime. Hey, when you're both working or you know you got a preset schedule, but often on vacation, I learned just to ask my wife, honey, what would make this a good day for you? And the yeah. answer surprises me nine times out of ten because I have this picture in my head of what would make a great day for my wife. And nine times out of 10, the picture is wrong. Right. And usually it's, the bar's pretty low. It's like, you know what, if I had an hour just to myself to read a book, it would be a fantastic day. Or, you know, if she asked me that question, which she often does, it would be like a day where I don't have to talk to anyone but you. Right. right? Which is often my answer. Yeah. Right. And she's like, oh, okay. I just, you need a day to yourself. I'm like, I need a day to myself right now. And I even asked you when I picked you up in Toronto today, it's like, hey, what would make this a good day for you? And you said something like, just hang out. Let's just hang out and do this podcast and all that. And clarity around tonight, you're going to meet with some of the Connexus staff. And so we got that. And then you can just relax. And like often, you know, you're right. That's such a good principle. I hope leaders, you'll start doing that at home. Um, where whether you're home full time or not, or whether you're in the marketplace, just well, we'll make this a good day for you, you know, yeah. and for your daughter to Great say question. it's the one you would have blown off, right? Right. That's and it was the easiest to do, right? Sometimes you're going to be delightfully surprised at the answer. Yeah, I agree with both kids, with your spouse, uh, and even clarifying with your boss sometimes, understanding yeah. what their expectation is, what's most important to them, and making sure that you're working on the priorities of your church or your business, sometimes that can be very freeing because what you think is really important, you're chasing a lot of time after you can get you sideways. So fast forward to today. Yep. uh, I I just want to run through like the brief summary of what you are responsible for. 
So at Elevation Church, you are in charge of what? What's yeah. the short list? So I get to oversee kids, students, adult small groups, and part of our campus creative team that helps create creative assets. So in a church of 20,000 people yeah. in soon to be 14 locations. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So it's a small job. Yeah. Yeah. What, little, about little seven, eight hours a week? Yeah. Thereabouts? Yeah, just twiddle around. And how many people were we talking at lunch? Sit around just wishing I could be on Carrie's podcast those days, <laughs> just, just daydreaming about the day it could happen. <laughs> and, and you have eight or nine direct reports. Yeah. We we're yeah. talking so, about it. Yeah, yeah, eight or nine, depending on how we restructure a couple of things next yeah, yeah. week. Yeah, yeah. You got a couple of things <laughs> yeah. coming up, but eight or nine direct reports. So, yeah. I mean, anybody who's led anything knows that's really, really complex. Sure. You just actually got an assistant. You've done all this leadership without. An assistant. Right, right. I got some great help now. And it's been a game, game changer. changer. Yeah. Game uh, changer for came you. Came at the right time. All right. So that's an awful lot. Plus, you speak on Orange Tour. Mm-hmm. You do some writing. You and Jessica are working on a book. Yeah. Right. You've done some other writing projects. You speak at conferences. Uh, you write a blog. You guest on my podcast. What else yeah. do you do? I think that's enough. No, I know that's um, enough, yeah. but like I'm saying, this is not a small world. Yeah. This is a very big world and there's a lot. Okay. So inside even Elevation Kids, you're always texting me or I'll see it on Instagram. Like you're shooting videos. Yeah, sure. You're recording uh, albums. Yeah. Worship albums. That's so much Yeah. Fun. And they hit number one on iTunes. Yeah. That's incredible. Right? <laughs> so you're involved in that. You're writing scripts. You're, you're often, I'll text you or call you and like, you'll be vacuuming at a campus that's opening in four hours. Yeah, sure. We right? love that too. <laughs> so you do that. You you host most of the guests that come to Elevation Church, right? Yeah, what a privilege to get pick to meet them up. these great leaders, pick them up from the airport. Now, do you hear what Frank has said consistently? He said, I get to. He hasn't said, I have to. He says, I get to, and what a privilege. It's just an attitude check, leaders. Just wow. notice that. So you get to pick them up, but that means you're taking them for dinner sometimes, Certainly. you're bringing them to the airport, you're dropping them off, you're making sure everything's attended to at their for hotel, sure. in addition to your other responsibilities. Yeah. Wow. I love it. Let's deconstruct the routine. What do your mornings look like? Yeah. So mornings, so I get up early, earlier than my kids. So if my kids are getting off to school, I get up, like I have a good time with my kids in the morning. I drive them to school by choice. Oh, um, and so, you drive your bus driver. Forgot. Yeah, that. yeah, bus driver. Okay, so bus I mean, driver. well, we have kids. So you're Car right, driver. That's, yeah, that's a big yeah. part of what we do as parents is shuffle kids around. And so get up in the morning. So I, I will. What time? Get up before them. So if it's during the school year, it's between four forty-five and five a.m. Because I've got to get up before them. They get yeah. up around six. I'll do my leadership reading, my devotional. Shower, get ready, pack my gym bag. Just kind of have myself your, ready to go. Uh, I'm, I'm deconstructing here. How yeah, long is sure. your leadership reading? 15 yeah, minutes, so 20 minutes? A leadership will be around 20, 25 minutes. Okay. Devotional is around 10, 15 minutes. I'll tell gotcha. you how that kind of plays out more later. But as part of that morning routine. Yep. And then just, you know, shower, throw my gym bag together, kind of get ready for the day, make a cup of coffee. And so you, you read what? Just books? Leadership books? Yeah. So I've honestly kind of just take recommendations wherever they come for the longest time. I'm getting a little more direct and going through trying something new where I'm spending three months trying to stay in the same lane, kind of like one key topic and really Mm -hmm. maybe understand it a little better, get a few different viewpoints instead of just churning through books. I used to have a goal of two leadership books every month and just churn through 24 books a year, but I wasn't processing them well. Mm -hmm. And at first I thought, oh, I just need to read less books, which sounded weird to me. 
And then I realized it's because mentally I was jumping around so much. So yeah. I need to pick a lane and kind of stay in it. Okay. So 2025 20, yep. and then, and then 15 minutes of devotions, yep. which I get, yep. I mean, you can do an awful lot if you're dedicated. Do you have sure. a reading plan or you pick around? So, yeah. So I'm reading through the Bible in a year. So that takes me about 15 oh, minutes. Me too. So that's what I do as part like of my devotion. Like on you version or yeah, you Yeah. I think that we do actually the same plan. Yeah. Um, so uh, 15 minutes, you know, 20 minutes, whatever it takes yep. to read that. So that's kind of my morning devotional uh, that I do then. Yeah. I do some journaling and some other stuff we'll talk about in a minute but that's that's as part of that time and then i mean as soon as kids feet hit the floor everything changes in my life right I so mean, that's at 6 a.m so about 6 a.m so they're shuffling around the house i'm trying to get showers or hair brushed or gum out of hair or whatever's happening yeah, in yeah. life lunch boxes going jessica my wife does a great job she knows i love the morning routine so she kind of lets me have it but the night before she'll set out their clothes and pack their lunches. So like I'm off to a good start. The clothes match right. and they have food. So like we're <laughs> off to a good start. So I'll cook breakfast and we'll have some oatmeal or whatever. And we're out the door by about 640 because their school starts really early. Okay. It starts at 715. And so I take the little ones to school. Then usually take Micah, my oldest, to school. Gets a little hang time with him, you know, about 20 minutes in the car, about time to fight traffic. And then I turn on a podcast as soon as yeah. I drop him off. Um, so first you foremost, listen to my podcast more than I do. I think. I've listened to every single Carrie Newhoff leadership podcast at least That's once. Nuts. And so That's I've learned nuts. stuff because you bring on leaders that are so practical in their teaching. Like it's just been so helpful for me. I've literally listened to everyone at least once. Wow. And so I got that one. I listened to Andy Stanley's. Yep. Um, I listened to a couple of the leadership, Perry Noble and a couple of the great leaders. And then uh, Craig Rochelle, like they all crank out kind of mm-hmm. less often than you. And yeah. so I have yours pretty much every Tuesday morning. And in fact, I usually text Well, they're all invited on, to my house, so yeah. they can hang out here anytime <laughs> they want. It's going to be awesome. So, um, so I listen to leadership podcasts, but also yeah. I'm a kind of a sermon junkie. Right. So I know I have one of the best communicators in the world and Pastor Steven in my church. So I always listen to his message at least one more time during the week. That's really valuable to me. It means a lot. So I usually listen wow. to it when I'm working out because I've already made good notes. So yeah. I'm just listening to it. But then I'll usually listen to three or four more sermons over the course of the week, sometime mainly a drive time. I just don't fill it with much else. Um, just that's part of my kind of devotional life. I'll make notes, I'll journal stuff, I'll pause, make a note, never note. And it becomes very life-giving to me to hear other preachers communicate God's word. Mm. I enjoy that more than necessarily le- listening to another Christ- Christian Christian leadership book. You know, or sure. reading another one. Like I enjoy them, but I really enjoy sermons. They feel fresh to me, and I love to hear gifted communicators communicate. Yeah. And you're a communicator yourself too. Yeah, you, I, you've I really to started speaking a lot more. Yeah, I've learned a lot in the last few years. So when you journal, like uh, book, book, or like on your iPad, or or what oh, do you do? So so when I journal, I actually don't use electronic device. I actually okay. have an Evernote um, journals that I use, mm-hmm. and I screenshot them and put them in Evernote for future reference but I journal in these big journals and those are just thoughts. They're not paragraphs. They're not really long. They're just little thoughts. Sometimes it may be two or three sentences. Sometimes it'll be longer if I'm really getting in a flow of something. Sometimes an idea will spark another, another leadership teaching for later. We didn't talk about this, but like this is, I just started journaling three weeks ago, again, two weeks ago. So, uh, and again, not digital. This is leather bound piece I had. And so we'll see how long that goes. I've been a stop and start journaler. Well, good for you. Okay, so that's your day. What time is it by this time? Kids are at school, and what's so next? So I'm to the office by, let's say, 8.15, 8.30. So you're still uh, one of the first ones in. So, yeah, yeah, still bright and early. We're ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and and then, listen to how much you've gotten done. 
Yeah, it's you, been a great start yeah. to the day. You've already I had a great that. start. When do you eat with right. your kids? So yeah, so yeah, I eat whatever they're whatever. And I'm you forget to now. eat. Unlike me, so, I I always remember I'm, to eat. When but. when I'm in work mode, or certainly when I'm traveling, yeah. I, I, it's not that I don't get hungry. I just I get so excited and so passionate about whatever we're talking about. I just the time escapes me. That's, That's my, my weight loss plan. So, I've got to get just, that excited. You just need to get more passionate. Mm-hmm. As I do. I do. You know. All right. So eight eight fifteen. You're at work. And, and so my day is purely like I live off my calendar. I really yes. do. I intentionally schedule gaps in my calendar to be able to do email or whatever. Okay. Why, but, I was going to say, why do you do it? And what else do you schedule so, in the gaps? Yeah, so I schedule, so I'm, I'm not suggesting this for everybody, but this right. is how I do it. I don't have a task list anywhere. Everything I do in life is scheduled on my calendar. Wow. And so I schedule time to check my emails I schedule time to mail that postcard, do that thing, do this thing. Because here's what I was doing. I was making a task list, filling my day full of work and interruptions. And then at the end of the day, having my task list still sitting there because it wasn't (laughs) scheduled. And so what I do is actually make calendar appointments throughout the day for things. And I'll set aside 15 minutes. And so we kind of have this mental thing with calendar. It's got to be 30 minutes or an hour. That's not true. It could be 15 minutes or five minutes. And I'll put literally on there, mail two thank you cards to so-and-so and backslash. And so I'll have a long subject line for that calendar item. But those are the task things I need to get done. And what that's caused me to do is when I don't get that done, I have to reschedule it. So I have oh. to see it move on my calendar. And so what that does is if I have an interruption, maybe it's an awesome interruption, somebody I wanted to pray with or encourage or meet with this campus pastor to dream about something. And it kind of threw my schedule out of whack because it wasn't urgent that I did those tasks. I just have to do them. But now I have to move that block. So I drag and drop it somewhere else. And so now I can see what's about to happen toward the end of my week, this train wreck that's about to happen. If I don't get some tasks done, don't plan ahead instead of it all just hitting me kind of blindly when I realized I don't have stuff done or getting in a real urgent mode. And so the frustrating thing for people is when they try to schedule stuff on my calendar, it looks like I'm always busy. And mm-hmm. so, you know, when they look at the iCal or whatever, it looks yeah. like I'm always full. So they have to kind of send me an email to get some stuff scheduled. Sometimes I'll schedule my tasks, but market is free on there instead of busy. So it's still on my calendar is something to do, but if somebody else wants to book something, that time's still available. But that's how I do writing, listening. I tend to work out around 2.30 or 3 o'clock. We have a gym at our office. Yeah, you do. It's a pretty cool gym. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. It's small, but it's got all the weights and all the equipment. I've been to worse gyms than that one. Yeah, for sure. I love it. And Pastor's very generous in that. And so 2.30, 3 o'clock, I'm hitting a lull in content. Like I can't produce anything else. Um, so yeah, you call it time. workout. That's uh, good. So, That's so probably I call better. it workout there uh-huh. and that gives me the energy I need really to make it through the rest of the day. It gets my brain pumping again. So I'll listen to that other sermon or that podcast or whatever mm. during that time. Now I'm reinvigorated. How long is your workout? Like That's 20 minutes, an hour, 35 minutes. Really? So I'm, I'm like real disciplined about it. Get it in, get out. It's not social time for me. That's I really I don't work out well with other people because I just superset everything and go really fast. Yeah, um, because that's just fuel to get me back to work. And so then I'll go back to work. And those two hours, let's say from three to five or three thirty to five thirty, are way more productive now because I'm not in this lull that's now from two thirty right. until the end of the day where I'm working at half speed. I've taken thirty five minutes, but now I'm at full speed again. And so now I'm really after able to go after it for till five thirty, six o'clock, whatever it is. That's great. So it's so intentional and it's so proactive. Has to be. I, I don't know how else to do it. And 
I'm sure some people would be like, that sounds horrible to have that much schedule and have it so planned out. No. I love it because it's so freeing because I'm getting my work done. And when I leave the office, I can go home, get in the floor with my kids. We also took the pressure off. I don't eat dinner with my family most nights. Okay. I know this sounds really weird. Um, I'm home for dinner. They eat dinner early. So yep. they eat dinner on my drive time. So they eat around 5, 5.30. I get home, I eat really quickly because you get, you know, I, food is fuel to me. I don't really, I'm not a food Yeah, you're not a big foodie. Whatever. Yeah. So, so I'm going to cancel our so, dinner reservations yeah. for tonight. <laughs> so I just throw in some food and then my default is into the floor with the kids. Right. Like, uh, we're playing puzzles. We're doing whatever. We're not cleaning up the dishes at that point. We're just totally hanging out. So Jessica has made that adjustment to help me. And so the next couple hours after school, we're either working on a school project together. Six to eight or something like that. Six to eight, eight thirty. Don't watch a lot of TV during that time. We just play. We play lots of cards or board games. And that's my real intentional time. And then when they start to take showers and do that, they're old enough now where they can kind of do that by themselves. So from eight thirty to let's say nine thirty, I'm spending time with Jessica Mm -hmm. and we're debriefing on the day. She can kind of be frustrated or unpack something that happened. I can too. And we just kind of work through stuff. We, we connect. This happens almost every day, this pattern during the school year. And so we're either that or once again, she's not feeling the pressure. So she's running some errands with the different basketball or sports. I'm picking one up and then we meet at yeah. home, kind of finish up the night. We spend time together. And then around 930, 10 o'clock, by asking questions, I discovered that Jessica's best into a day is for her to be able to take her shower, finish up her night, and read to end the night, like for pleasure. She loves, loves to do that. Loves to do that. And so I felt the pressure when I wasn't at home. When I get home late, I needed to spend every minute with her. <laughs> She's when I was like, home, no, leave me alone. I was driving her crazy. I didn't even realize it. And <laughs> sure. she would, because I wasn't home a lot, she would just take all that time even though she wasn't enjoying it. Yeah. So now we kind of have this routine where once the kids go to bed, 9.30, 10 o'clock, Jessica goes upstairs and kind of starts her nightly routine, I usually spend another hour getting some work done or writing. And, I was going to ask, where I does the writing it. fit in? Yeah, so I'll write So you can think at like so. 9, 30, 10 yeah, o'clock at night? Yeah, pretty good well. I usually have, I don't know if this is good. It's probably going to catch up with me later. But I'll have a cup of coffee while we're sitting there talking around 9, 9.30. And that kind of gets me jacked up and going. And then I'll write or finish a blog yeah. or a podcast. You're telling whatever. me sometimes you're even getting into running and you'll run at 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's kind of a newer thing. I'm just trying. I'm trying to figure out a good yeah. sleep pattern and workout pattern. And so I'm just spicing things up a little bit. In so bed at what time? So, um, usually yeah, 1130, 11, 1130. Yeah. So you're really getting only about five or six hours a night. Yeah, that's true. And, and yeah. I told you, but you can you run know, on that earlier today. Yeah. So far so good. I don't, yep. I, I, it does catch up with me when I travel. I don't know why, but it just feels way harder if I don't get a good sleep. Um, so I'm aware of that. I factor in travel now in my calendar planning for the rest of the week. So I get up, um, at 5am tomorrow morning to go to the airport Yeah, and I I'll think. be at work landing in Charlotte from Toronto at like nine 30. Yeah. And so I'll go straight to work tomorrow. So I need to plan that in my day. I do that all the time. Yeah. Man. I don't want to be yeah. superstar. I didn't book meetings from, let's say I, I walk in at 10 30 to the office from 10.30 to 5 p.m., even though I've been gone a couple of days, I didn't book meetings that whole time. I'll be worthless. Right. And so, I, okay, I need to spread them out a little but bit. I've done that, too. Like, with my travel, I'll, I'll fly back into Toronto. It's an hour, less than an hour to Conexus. 
And I'll walk right into a 9.30 meeting or a 9 o'clock meeting or sometimes, if it's a really early flight, a breakfast meeting. Yeah. But then I keep the end of the day free. Yeah. Like usually by 2 o'clock, I'm kind of brain dead at that so point. So for me, I have a middle school boys group that I lead, just a small yeah. group just for me that I lead wow. on Wednesday nights. And this Wednesday night, we're not having it. Okay. I mean, I'm looking at the schedule going, that's just not wise. I'm not going to be a, a very good e-group leader or small group leader. What's amazing to me, Frank, is... Like we spent a whole day together. You've shot a couple of texts off. I have, you know, you've checked your email on a quick break over lunch or something, but like your phone is not blowing up. You, you haven't got people chasing you down. A lot of that has to be, you've just empowered your team and you've so structured your life that when you decide, Hey, I'm going to spend a day today with my friend, you, you just have a day free. And the most effective leaders I know are always able to do that. Yeah. What do you think the secret sauce is? I mean, I think you've just given us the 25-minute version of the secret sauce, but why, why do you think so many leaders can't get there? Well, I, th- I think part of it is we don't set standards for what communication looks like for us, even down to, like, so I'm away, and I text people when I need something now. That's, that's the okay. rule. So if I don't need it now, it goes in email. And if it's going to go in email, there has to be a timestamp set on it. So while I've gotten some emails while I've been away, I've gotten very few texts because that means they need me to drop what I'm doing right now and mm-hmm. respond. So that communicates something different. And that's happened, what, twice since we've been together yeah. today. So um, when you say timestamp an email, you mean like, hey, by Thursday, Frank, can yeah. you? So I've got, yeah. I've got a series of emails right now. I'm actually just opening them up and looking at them. I've got some things to do, but there's not a false sense of urgency because there's stuff in my inbox because right. I know when it is. So we've built as a team Together, we've communicated some standards of like, this is how you communicate. This is how you let people know what they need when they need it. And so I think a lot of times when we're away, first of all, we think that the world's going to fall apart. And I guess I'm to a place now where I'm not arrogant enough to think that I'm really that important. No, I think the world gets better when I'm away. Yeah, that's probably true. true. (laughs) And then the other thing, because we've set some standards on communication, they know when they really need something now, they needed a decision on something we needed to go to print with today. So they texted me about it because they know I'm not going to look at my email other than that. But there's several things in here. It's like, hey, this week or tomorrow, can we, you know, just little things like that. I don't feel an unnecessary sense of urgency because my email box is filling up because two things. I know I have time set aside already tomorrow to catch up my email because mm-hmm. I was going to be out of pocket today. So I have to set aside time tomorrow. It's already on my calendar. So wow. I know I've got a time for that. It's very much like, Uh, talk about people that have a hard time sleeping. A lot of it's because all these ideas are running through their head. And I read an article that said, if you put a journal beside your bed in a place to write those ideas down, you'll go right back to sleep because you know that you've captured them. But if you haven't captured them, your mind will stay racing because it feels like you've got to keep it, keep it because you're going to lose it and you're going to worry about it. You're forgetting something. But if you write down, follow up with them tomorrow at 9 a.m., you know, just in your little journal or whatever, type something in your phone, roll back over, your mind is at ease. And so now I know how what's happening in my email box right now. So I know that I don't need to scrub this right now for the urgent email because it doesn't exist. Yeah. It's not there. And so I think that's helped me a lot. This is so good. You know, you and I both, it sounds like, and I didn't realize you had a fixed calendar. That's, that's like news to me. But I moved to that a few years ago and it's been a game changer. And taking uh, proactivity as well, I think you know, because we talk a lot I'll be doing this course offering this fall, this new resource for leaders called The Passionate Leader. Yeah. That's a working title. I'm it could be something totally it. different. But it talks about the benefit, like how to manage time, how to make sure you do your best when you're at your best. Um, do your best work when you're at your best. 
And um, it's really how to get everything done, which so many people struggle with. So when you're on a plane, is that recreational time for you or is it productive time for you? Yeah, so it's productive, but it's realistic productive. Okay. And so, for example, on the initial flight up here, you know, I know I had a long journey <laughs> you had, to get you had up a two-day journey to two Canada. Two days to get to you Toronto. You could have walked. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. But um, during one of the flights, it's an hour and a half flight. I put a 20 minute thing that I needed to get done. And so yeah. I knew I could get that done then. But when they're telling me to shut the tray tables and do all that, I didn't have my computer. I wasn't pounding out stuff there right. thinking I had to get something done. I was playing a game on my phone or reading my Bible or doing something like that. Probably, yeah. probably reading my Bible and probably praying. you were reading your Bible. Probably, clearly, yes, clearly, yes, clearly you were. Um, so, or playing some race car game on my phone or whatever, yeah. but, or watching a movie on my iPad. But then once I got in the air, we get settled, they're pushing the drink cart. Okay, I need this one thing to get done. Like, and uh -huh. I know that I'm still on track if I get that one thing done. So yep. I think when we're unreasonable with our time and we imply we're going to get more done or we have good intentions, it sets us up for a very stressful experience while we're traveling or, or wherever we are. So I've just learned that okay, there's going to be interruptions. They're going to want me to put up my computer way before I want to. I don't even understand why I have to put up my computer sometimes on the flight down. They're like, yeah. can you put up your computer? We're going to be landing in a half hour. I, I know. It's like, just it give me 15 more minutes. Yeah, yeah. They'll get yeah. the look from the stewardess if I don't do it immediately, uh -huh. right? It's like not a good thing. But I'm like, okay, so if it's an hour and a half flight, I'm going to have a good 20 minutes on my computer. So it doesn't feel like I'm working all the time because I'm not right. have my computer open, not really working because it's, uh, it's all disjointed. The other thing you said that I think is so good is um, how we communicate because everybody's accessible all the time. And we went to a similar escalation time uh, or escalation process with my team where basically, you know, text if you need my eyeballs on it now and again do you do you share your cell phone number widely or so, selectively yeah pretty much all my staff has it yeah um i'm learning just now so i've given my cell phone number out to pretty much all the planet and so uh -oh. i'm now experiencing a little bit of that so we set up a phone number through dial pad oh. it's a service through google i don't know much about it they set it up oh, yeah. so now i'm redirecting a lot there because it um, helps me plan better because uh, my, my number's out there a lot. I've been really old school, so not a lot of people have my number. So if you have my number, you have sort of that relationship where yeah. people can text me. That's but wise. generally, if it's not super urgent, I need to look at it this hour, yep. it goes via email. And I try to stay fairly current in my inbox, you know, every other day or something like that. It's at least been actioned within 24 hours yeah for sure and then and then you know other forms of correspondence phone calls sort of the nuclear option yeah you know i called a mutual friend exactly today right. and he called us back while we were on our way right. up from toronto and the whole deal but that's like hey i really really i know i'm phone bombing you right now but it's on purpose right so and i find even whatever your rhythm is you know if you're always accessible all the time you're just going to be in reactive mode you're never going to do well good anything else about your schedule that makes you able to be a dad, be a husband. I mean, that's so thorough. And I love how granular you were because I think people are going to have different things that'll work for them, but it's so helpful. And the fact that you're proactive, the fact that you've thought about every part of your day, that you decide what comes to you. Uh, any tips on saying no, Frank? Because you're at the point in your life where you have more opportunity than you have time available. How do you say no? Yeah, so because I keep my calendar, it makes it actually easier to say no yeah. because I can communicate 
I, I see there's a problem. I want to say yes a lot more. And, and mm-hmm. I, I'm in a season where I don't understand necessarily why ministry leaders would let me speak into their ministry or their life. But I want to help them all. Yeah, I, I know. genuinely do. I know and and that. I love that's why you have this amazing podcast because you're helping so many this way. Um, and so I genuinely want to help. And so now I can look at it and and I guess maybe it's selfish, but I feel a little less guilty when I look at my calendar and go, well, now I'm choosing you over family time if I agree to have this yep. call with you because I see the fallout because a call at noon doesn't affect my family on a, on a Thursday. Mm-hmm. But what I had to move to later that evening in order to make room for that call now puts me home later. And now I don't get to go play disc golf with my son. Oh, now I see the impact. So the, because I live in that calendar and that block scheduling, it's actually made it easier for me to say no or plan for later or figure out a way to do it. I've, I've learned yeah. um, sometimes when people want to reach out for calls to talk ministry, they all want to ask the same questions about Elevation Church, whether it be about volunteering and things like that. So I've just learned that it's pretty rare that I do a one-on-one call anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if we have multiple people reach out, we'll coordinate all of them and we'll have five people on a call and they each ask a question and we're all talking about the same stuff. But now I've taken one hour instead of five yeah. hours. Um, so I'm learning some little uh, tips and tricks along the way. Uh, but one of the things that I... You know, when people invite me to speak, my priority is still just being at the church yeah. and I already love Orange and, and am able to support uh, their vision and ministry. And so that that covers a lot of it. So there's not much left. And I'm OK with that. Well, and the thing about having a fixed calendar is you can look ahead when I speak on it. I use, you know, March 2017, a year in advance. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. The third here. week of March two, 2017. It's not a mystery. I can tell you hey, um, you know, this isn't going to work or I've got a commitment or Saturday is a classic example, a day off, right? Where people are like, hey, what are you doing on Saturday? If you look at your calendar, there's nothing there. You're like, nothing? Oh, great. Can you help me? Right. But if it's like, if it says family and that's all it needs to say or day off, like this Saturday, my two sons are with me. I know what we're doing. We're building something in the backyard. I just, I'm sorry, I, I've got a commitment. Yeah. But how else can I help you? That's right. And so you this, don't have to be mean about this it. This Friday, I'm traveling to our Roanoke campus. And mm-hmm. normally that's a day off for me on Friday. Yeah. But I'm traveling up and I'll be coming back Friday mid-afternoon. And so I've actually opened that up as a window to do a couple of ministry calls. Because I'm yep. just sitting in the car and my family's not with me. Like, that's fine. I'll be glad to do that. But on a normal Friday, I wouldn't ever do that because it's really right. time I'm trying to get And you family. know in advance. Yeah. That's good. Oh, wow. We could, uh, this is this is so good. Any tension points in your current regimen? Anything you're going, huh, I'm not sure that's working anymore. Yeah, pro- probably the biggest thing for me is I've gotten to now help oversee some other areas of ministry in our church. I tend to really want to get up to speed and understand the systems we built, how we built them, why they are what they are, and where we need to go. And at times, that gets me kind of sucked in to uh, some of the minutiae. And right now, overseeing multiple ministries, I'm having to grow in my leadership to know where to dive in and where to kind of let things keep going yeah. without me. You can't fly so, at 10,000 feet anymore. You got to fly at 20 or 25 yeah. or 30, right? But, but I feel like I'm a good leader at 10,000 feet. And so I'm having to learn how to be a good leader at 30,000 feet. But once again, I've got people I'm asking that question, how do you do that? Because I'm yeah. not going to try to figure that out on my own. That wouldn't be very smart. There are great leaders doing that all the time. And so I've got to ask questions. How do you do this? How did you make wow. the shift? When did you let go? What did you let go? 
Because there are some things I can't fathom getting out of right now. They're like too important or making big decisions. There are other things I have to get out of. I don't have a choice. So, wow. uh, yeah. I think that's our next podcast, episode three of the Frank Bueller show. <laughs> That'll be good. Oh, That'll gosh. be it. How do you, okay. Uh, I think this is the last question. How do you refuel and rest? And again, everybody's going to be different. You and I were talking earlier today about yep. use, you know, you and I used to be extroverts. Now we're kind of introverts. Yeah, Ministry sure. beat it out of us. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> something did. So something yeah. did for sure. But how do you refuel? What yeah. what what keeps you strong for the long haul? Yep. So I like working out actually is really good for me. I know that about yeah. me. Like that's a good like short term refuel. I have discovered over time that um, it takes. I, I'm a fast charge, and so oh. so my wife like when when she so if you picture like your phone device. Um, uh, it takes not a lot of time for me to recharge. Mm-hmm. Um, it just has to be intentional. Where my wife, she's found that she's kind of a slow charge. Now, when she gets charged up, she can run really hard for days. Blows my mind. Yeah. Even less hours of sleep. I mean, she's a machine. But when it's time to recharge, it takes a while for her to recharge. She needs a good book in bed for a few hours, just relaxing, nothing going on. And, and she can recharge. Like, <sighs> yeah, yeah. For me... Um, I'm liking alone time more and more. Yeah. Um, I genuinely enjoy traveling. We run pretty hard when we travel. We go exploring. But when I'm exploring, I don't really think about other stuff. So I love to see the city. I mean, I've been in Toronto a few days, and I feel like I've seen almost the entire city. Yeah, you've done well. You hit the island, the CN Tower. Yeah, rode the ferry. Rode the ferry. Rode the subway. Like, I just... Exploring and checking out. Got that out, hat so. for your son, that yeah. Blue Jays hat. Yeah, the hat that was impossible yeah. to find. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, of course we need a hat yeah. that's all white for a team that's blue. Oh, sure, <laughs> sure. That's going to be easy to find. Go Jays. So, yeah, go Jays. And uh, so, um, yeah, I think the tension is me growing as a leader and not yeah. thinking that, okay, the way I've done it in the past, that's actually been pretty yeah. good for us in ministry mm-hmm. is actually going to be what, what this next season's like, more of the same. I'm going to have to change. And when you have hard. time just for Frank, what do you do? So I'd love to read, love, love, love to read now. And so I could do that. Um, probably the best thing is like what we're doing today. Give me one good friend mm. and just let me go run the road, go do something, go out to eat, go see a movie where I don't feel like I have to say much at all. Mm. Um, but if we do, that's great too. And I'm not on because I feel feel like most my life, I guess, as most ministry leaders do, you feel on pretty much all the time. Yep. And so for me, off doesn't mean that I don't need anybody around at all. I mean, a, a good book or some quiet time is great, but give me the right person yep. and, and just one or two, and I'm in great shape. I'll, I'll heal really I'm with quickly. you. I think Strength Finders calls that a relator. Okay. And that's somebody, and I know that's one of my strengths, that's somebody that you, and it's not like there's this giant divide between the public Frank and the private Frank. From what I know, there's no divide. You're the same person, you know, off stage that you are on stage or out of a meeting that you are in a meeting. And I hope I'm the same way. But it's like the people that you just feel 100% comfortable with, where it's like, ah, we can just relax. Yeah. We can be family. And that's Even- great. Even, you know, I know your dad's the one that takes you to the airport and picks yeah. you up and that's, that's kind of a rhythm and you get some family time that way. And He's it's my really great. driver. Yeah. yeah. So when, when I'm driving to the airport or coming back from the airport, 
we're strategic about the people that I'm like, I'm getting off a plane. I'm exhausted. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't need to desperately just yeah. beg for somebody to come pick me up at the airport. I need somebody that I'm really just going to enjoy being around and we can laugh and totally. Like yeah. Where we can, we can goof off and, or, or I cannot say anything or right. I'm like, Hey, I got to get these five emails or I can tilt the seat back and like sleep for 10 minutes. So. Yeah. And I've learned that from hosting guests yeah. at Elevation Church. They come in and I'm not offended at all if they don't need to talk at all and they want to catch up on some emails. What I found most people do is they sit back for a few minutes. They just need to be quiet. They want to catch up on some texts. You know, they've landed, whatever. Want to breathe for a few minutes. And then they're jumping right in on a conversation. Not because I'm driving it, but because it's like, okay, I've had a few seconds to breathe. I feel comfortable yeah. in this setting. Yeah, the world's setting. not on fire. Now we can chat. That's right. That's great. That's great. Anything else you want to share with us, Frank? Super helpful, man. No, I've feel, loved I feel like this. this a lot. I love doing this. Once again, um, I, I don't even know why you would have me on this podcast, but I sure am thankful that well, you I let know. me share. I think listeners know now. <laughs> Frank, you're in a lot of places online. Uh, tell us about your blog. Tell us about other places people sure. can track so, with you. Uh, blog is familyministry.church. You can go there yeah. and find us and... Uh, we blog from time to time and share resources or where we're doing podcasts, things like that. And yeah. then uh, F Beeler, F-B-E-A-L-E-R on Twitter or Snapchat or Instagram, Periscope, all that stuff. Facebook is just Frank.Beeler. Excellent. Frank, thank you so much, man. You helped a lot of leaders. I think you made some families win today, helped some families win, and certainly helped us get better at what we do. Awesome. Thanks so much for being Thanks with us. Thanks so much for having me. Well, you see why I love Frank Beeler? I mean, man, wasn't that a great conversation? Frank's just a super guy. He's so humble too. And I know I made him really uncomfortable when I asked him, so when did you realize you were a high capacity leader? Yeah, you don't ask friends those questions, but hey, uh, you know, I did. And I thought his answer was really fascinating. If you want more, you can get it all in the show notes. It's uh, kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 98. Hey, if you tuned in last week, you know that we've got a big episode coming up. 100 is coming up and we're going to do a Facebook contest. So if you haven't found my page on Facebook, you can do that. Just look for Kerry Newhoff. Uh, you'll see, make sure you like my author page because that's where it's going to happen. It just, it says author. And um, I would love for you to be there. And, and you know, Facebook has this algorithm thing where sometimes you can't find anything on Facebook. If you go to the show notes, kerrynewhoff.com slash episode 98, we'll take you through a little screencast that will show you um, how you can see my feed first in your news feed so that you can actually win this contest. So anyway, you can do that. Uh, it's all in the show notes or just go to Facebook if you know how to uh, moderate your news feed. Uh, make sure I come up first. You can uh, select C first and then you have a good shot at winning this contest. So that's coming up. We'll have more details next week because we're just two episodes away from the big 100. Hey, in the meantime, we're back next week. Uh, next week, we are going to be talking with Jeff Keaty and Johnny Craig, who really have a specialty and a real heart for churches of less than 200 attenders. And I have a great conversation with them. Uh, if you are leading a small church or have a friend who is, you're not going to want to miss it. It'll be super encouraging. Got a whole lot more coming up. And if you subscribe, you don't miss a thing. So can't wait to talk to you next Tuesday. In the meantime, I really hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.